Good morning, River City Church. How are we doing? Yeah. So this, this weekend is, well, my name is Troy. I'm an elder candidate here at River City Church. I also lead our hospitality team. Uh, but this weekend here is it's significant for a couple of reasons. So first off, uh, three years ago today, we were extremely blessed to have the first Chick-fil-A franchise open up in the state of Michigan. <laughs> it's been my pleasure to dine in there on many occasions. But more importantly, uh, a year ago this weekend, we as a church launched our first public service. Yeah, that's, yeah, get more excited about that. You can clap for that. That's good. Yeah, a year ago this weekend, we launched our first public service at the uh, Grand River Hotel on Ann Street. Uh, and it's been just amazing to see and reflect on what God has done for us over the last year as we've gone from one location to another to our fourth week in this brand new spot. Uh, so next week, we're going to have more of a celebration on that as we kind of launch into year two uh, of what we're doing at River City Church in, in terms of services. So, But an exciting weekend nonetheless. Um, so th this weekend, we're continuing our, our series into the, to First uh, Corinthians. Uh, we've seen Paul, over the last several weeks, uh, point out some flaws that were going on in the church of Corinth, uh, things that were people were struggling with, the wrongdoing, and, and encouraging them and trying to correct them in their way of thinking. Now, if you've been uh, keeping close track of where we're at and been tracking through with, with us through these last few weeks, you've known that we've arrived to one of, if not the most popular passages of Scripture in the Bible. And I'm talking about 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, I say, I, I think you can make that argument because you, you see this, this passage um, pop up in not only a lot in Christian culture, but in society as a whole. I mean, you see a lot of it on coffee mugs. I mean, just the other day, uh, my wife Taylor and I were shopping in, I believe it was JCPenney or Macy's, one of those department stores, and um, there was a t-shirt that said Faith, Hope, and Love on it, you know, a direct reference to this passage. And, and heck, you will even see it pop up in modern TV shows like this. Hmm. Conga line. Oh, yes, definitely. How about a slideshow of you guys through the years, set to Green Day's Time of Your Life, and ending with your baby photo side by side? Oh, that's great. Going on the list. What list? Horrible wedding cliches. We're not going to touch with the 10-foot limbo pole. <laughs> well, like, like 1 Corinthians, that Bible verse, they do that at every wedding. How's it go? Uh, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Lame. Going on the list. So as you see, it pops up in shows like that. Um, it's almost become a cliche of sorts, right, for this idea of weddings. Because chances are, if you've ever been to any wedding in your life, this is probably the passage that's either been preached on or, or read from in some way. And we, we kind of almost refer to this as the wedding passage, right? And while marriage is a great example of love, and, and I understand why this is typically a passage shared at that time, it should be noted that we, as we go through the scripture today that the words husband, wife, or marriage don't show up one time over the course of these 13 verses, not one time. So why is it that when we come to this passage that we just use marriage as an example? Why do we almost gloss over it and its importance and think it only applies to some people and not all? Like, I'm not there yet. I can almost kind of skip over and pass over to, to chapter 14. 
My, my a couple questions I want you guys to think through today is one, why is this idea of love kind of sandwiched between spiritual gifts? And, and two, what would your life look like if we loved like this? If we loved like what Paul is going to walk us through today? What would our impact as followers of Jesus be if we loved others like we're taught through this section? And I'm going to be honest, some of this was a little hard for me to digest because I just saw how little I loved like this. So again, I want you to think about those two questions. Why is this sandwiched in between here, and what would our lives look like if we loved like this? So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 1. So if you, you can flip or tap there and follow along with me, otherwise it is going to be on the screen above me. We do have Bibles in the back if you wish to follow along that way, but I want to just quick run through all 13 verses. Paul says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, I, but then face to face. Now I know in part that I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of thee is love. So to quickly recap the last couple weeks, uh, Brad walked us through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which talked about this idea of spiritual gifts and, and how the people of Corinth were elevating certain gifts above others, specifically this gift of tongues and saying this was the true mark of a believer. If you didn't have this gift, then maybe you weren't one. People who didn't have that gift were becoming frustrated that they didn't have that gift. And, and then we get to this, again, this idea of, of, of love. And Paul even ends chapter 12 by saying this in verse 31, he says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. What Paul is referencing is to be earnestly used by God in a, in a greater way beyond what we think we can do, right? To, to earnestly desire that. And then he ends verse, uh, chapter 12 by saying, and I will show you a still more excellent way. That more excellent way is this way of love, how we are called to love others to show them the truth of Jesus and how his death on the cross saved them from that eternal separation from God. And he starts off in chapter 1, or in chapter 13 with verse 1 by saying, in the t I can speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Again, he continues with this idea of gifted tongues just because of how important Corinthians were raising this above others. And says that if I use that gift... If I speak in the tongues of man or the tongues of angels, if I use that gift, but there's no love behind it, that all you hear is noise, right? Without love in our tone, without love in our intentions, or the message, it won't be heard. That the people that we're speaking to, that we're using this gift for, they don't hear the words they're saying because all we're seeing, you know, doing is we're not having love behind there. They won't hear the message at all. 
you know, in, in, oftentimes we experience this by, you know, speaking at somebody, and it usually involves a, a hot topic, right? Something that's maybe deemed controversial. And what oftentimes may start off as, as, a, as a, a nice conversation oftentimes turns into a bloodbath, right? Opinions are, are shouted at each other. That no one's listening, and the conversation usually ends with someone being hurt. That love is the last thing on our minds when we have those conversations. What matters most to us in that moment is just being right. Because why? Because the truth hurts, right? I mean, we see a lot of this on social media, right? I'm sure we've all seen those conversations, the mighty keyboard warriors out there who are just, you know, thinking that they're changing the world, but we, we fail to recognize that we're not sharing truth in a loving way when we converse like that. I mean, I thought about dragging that symbol over there and, and over here and hitting it as hard as I could, but one, you know what that sounds like, and two, I'd probably break it, and you guys wouldn't let me back on the stage again, and I would make Simeon upset, which would make me feel really sad, so I'm not going to do that. <clears throat> but, I mean, we all know what that sounds like, that, uh, that annoying loud crash, right? I remember, that, or that song of a, or that sound of a gong as well, I remember when I was an immature 13-year-old in band class, we had, you know, the gong set up in the percussion section, you know, just taking that mallet and hitting it as hard as I could and running out of the room because I didn't want my band record to find out who did it, <laughs> right? Because that's an annoying sound. We know what that sounds like, and it's even worse when we do it next to somebody's face, right? We all had that moment where we crash the cymbals, right, in someone's face, and it's uncomfortable, right? You're, you get an enormous headache, your ears are ringing, and you can't hear. You can't hear. You can't hear anything. And that's what Paul is saying. It's like this. If there's not love in, our, in, the tongue, in speaking in the tongues of men and angels, it's a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Because we fail to recognize that our tough love attitude may not be so loving. It does not change a thing. We get so swept up in our confidence to have these conversations that we start defending ourselves rather than showing Christ. That if there's no love be behind our gifting, it's going to fall on deaf ears. In verse 2 and 3, Paul says this, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and deliver my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul here, he builds on his main idea by saying, Without love, we are nothing. Without love, at the core of who we are, at the core of our gifting, we are nothing. That we can have all the knowledge in the world, that we can know everything that ever happened and everything that is going to happen. We can have the greatest faith, but there is no ounce of love in our body, then we are nothing. Our gifting doesn't matter if love isn't the intention behind it. You know, what a, what a profound statement to make there because... If I run into somebody who has some great knowledge and is all-knowing, it's hard not to be impressed with that, right? I mean, we've seen the latest couple guys on Jeopardy who are out there just slaying every night, winning all this money. And it's hard enough if I were to run into that person not to be impressed with what they know. But what Paul is getting that is that with me, for example, I could know this book cover to cover. I could memorize all scripture, have the perfect theology, know everything that God's ever going to do or has done, but if I don't use that gifting in a loving way, then it's simply just a waste of time. It doesn't matter, because without love, we are nothing. If my intention is to know this stuff is to make myself look good, then I am nothing with it. It doesn't matter. 
Because our faith as believers in Jesus Christ requires more than just head knowledge. It requires more than just reciting answers to hard questions. It requires love. Because knowing it does not mean you have it. And knowing truth and showing truth are two different things. Then Paul continues this idea. He says that we're of nothing without love by saying, if I give up everything that I own, if I sacrifice everything that I have, but there's no love there, I gain nothing. If we sacrifice our possessions, if we sacrifice ourselves without love being our main intention in that, then it's simply meaningless, and we should just keep those things because we're being selfish anyway. So we should ask ourselves consistently, what is the motivation behind our gifting? What is the motivation? Am I just going through the motions by giving some of my money and time to, to look good, or is it because I generally care about that person, or I generally care about this church? If I lead a city group, am I doing that because I generally care about what's going on in people's lives and I want to do life with them? I want to encourage them to grow in their faith? Or am I doing it to thrust myself on a leadership track to make myself look good? If I get coffee with you, am I doing that because I generally care what's going on in your life and I want to hear you out, I want to encourage you, I want to listen to you? Or do I just want the latest gossip in the church? Because without love, we are nothing. Paul could not be more clear here just how important it is that we have love in our lives, that love is at the center of who we are, of what we do, because if we do not, then what we do simply doesn't do anything. And then Paul continues in verse 4, or I should say Marshall Erickson says in verse 4, I feel like I should say uh, we don't own that clip. Uh, there was no copyright. Uh, we don't own it. Uh, all the disclaimers, blah, 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 blah. Maybe Brad will just edit that off the podcast and we don't have to worry about anything. But verse 4, he says this. <clears throat> love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So Paul goes from walking us through, hey, if there's not love in your gifting, you're nothing. So this is what love looks like. This is what love looks like to, uh, uh, to us as Christians. And just how important it is that, we're not, that we exhibit it in this way. He's defining what love looks like to the church of Corinth. He says love is patient and kind. Now patient is defined as bearing provocation, annoyance, misfortune, hardship with fortitude and calmness. Well, that sounds easy, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty patient. You know, I go through some hard things and I get through it. Things are good. But that definition ends with without complaint or anger. Ah, yeah, I'm, you lost me there. Because it's easy to walk through that first part and say, yes, like I love people. I deal with the hardship of it. I never give up on them. I remain calm when they continue to respond back to me. But, you know, I do complain about it. I do get angry. Yeah, have you ever found yourself thinking about someone you care about who, who's struggling, like, and you're just frustrated and say, why aren't they listening to me? Why aren't they listening to me? All I'm trying to do is help them to fix what's going on, but they just don't care. Is our love patient? Is there a kindness to it? Paul is saying that love waits through all that hardship, all that misfortune, all those annoying things, and does so with good nature. Paul then says love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. In other words, love is not discontent. Love is not full of covetousness. Love is not prideful. Love is not jealous. Love is not claiming some superior importance. Man, that's a tough one for me because that's me, right? That's us. 
There are days when I have discontentment. There are days when I'm jealous. There are many, many days when I'm so, so prideful. And when I carry myself in that way, when, when those root emotions climb their way up to my actions, I'm not loving. I'm not. You know, in reading through this, this small part here, I can't help but think of uh, Joseph and his 12 brothers and, and just the, the jealousy that his brothers dealt with. How they're called to love their brother, but instead they were so jealous of their father's love for him that they just sold him into slavery. You know, the brother who they were called to love, they just sold him into slavery and they spent years not knowing what happened to him. And what does Joseph do when, when he runs in with them? You know, after, of course, he has his little fun because that's what siblings do. He loves them. In Genesis, says, Joseph kissed his brothers and wept upon them and provided for them during the famine. Because love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Paul says love is not self-seeking. Love does not mean that you seek out what is best for you and you only. Love does not say it's my way or the highway. It doesn't equal selfishness. You know, this is a tough pill because we live in a society that's all about me, right? I want what's best for me. If that's not best for me, then me's not going to do that, right? But how many times a day do we often think about how our actions will affect ourselves rather than how they'll affect somebody else? If that's you, that's not love. Love is not irritable or resentful. It doesn't keep track of wrongdoings. It doesn't keep score. It does not say that you were able to do this, now I'm able to do that. That it doesn't hold things against somebody else so the other person can win. If that's you, that's not love. <coughs> Excuse me. And I have to admit, this is me just a couple days ago. Taylor and my wife Taylor and I, the last few weeks, we've been talking about uh, getting Disney Plus, that subscription. In other words, uh, it's more like me begging her that we can get it. Um, and so we're just talking about that, putting it on hold. In the meanwhile, she's planning a trip to uh, Chicago with a few of our friends. And she says, hey, I need you to send X amount of dollars to our friends for the trip. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is more expensive than Disney Plus, but I can't get Disney Plus right now. And then she happened to lovingly tell me to check my heart. Um, and you know what? She was right. <clears throat> she was completely right because I tried to keep score in that moment. I tried to spin it so that I could get what I wanted. And that's not love. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love does not celebrate when you do something wrong. It does not get excited when you mess up or fall. This one is, is also super convicting because we all have that person in our life who, when they mess up, when they finally get caught, we're like, yes, justice, finally, right? They finally get what they deserve. And most of the time, it's probably a coworker, right? But that's not love. Or on a personal level, love does not seek to justify our own wrongdoing. It does not try to get away with sin. It doesn't try to sweep it under the rug. It does not say, whew, I got away with it again. Thank goodness that nobody will ever know about it. Because our heart is in the wrong place when we fall into that. Because as Paul says, love rejoices in the truth. But love doesn't rejoice at the wrongdoings, but rejoices in the truth. Love does not celebrate when you mess up or when I mess up. Love celebrates when you get through it, when you remember to rest in what is right and good. When we remember that because of Christ that we have victory over sin, because true love has nothing to hide, and that is what Paul is saying that we should rejoice in. And then famously we get to verse 7 where Paul says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, 
and endures all things. Paul says love bears all things. It covers all things. Uh, I got a quote here from Charles Spurgeon, who was a a 19th century preacher, I believe. Sorry, is that correct? Yeah. (laughs) In, in, In England, it says, it never proclaims the errors of others. Love never proclaims the errors of others. It refuses to see faults unless it may kindly help in their removal. It stands in the presence of a fault with a finger on its lips. Love covers all things. I, I love the imagery that he uses there because the, the illustration is just perfect because I can't help but think of a child who deliberately messed up, right? You use a parent, you tell your child not to do this and they do it anyway. And they come running into you and they're crying. And they're saying, I messed up. I, did, I didn't do what you asked me to do. And that parent just leans over and goes, Shh, it's okay. I love you. I know you made a mistake. I know that you did something you shouldn't have, but you're going to get through it. You're not a bad person, and next time you'll make the better decision. Because love covers all things. Love bears all things. Paul says love believes all things. Love believes in the good of others. It believes it is there and focuses on that. It does not see the bad first. It sees the good first, and it attempts to get the other person to see that the good is there as well. And when the bad comes out, love doesn't forget that the good is still there. Because love believes all things. That one's extremely difficult because when we see the bad, it's hard to remember that the good is still there. But the love believes that it is there and it would always be there. Love hopes all things. Love never despairs. Love is never hopeless. Paul says that we shouldn't look at others without love or without hope. We shouldn't look at others and think that there is no way that they're so far gone, they're so distant from God that they'll never get to him. That they're so distant from God that there's no hope from them and he can't draw them back because he is so, they are so distant. Love does not do that because when we look at others with despair, we allow ourselves to believe that God is limited in his ability to draw that person near to him. Again, we don't look at others with despair because when we do that, we allow ourselves to believe that God is limited in his ability to draw that person to him. And sharing at sharing a hopelessness with others, we should share a hopefulness with them. And then finally, love endures all things. Paul says love endures all things. And this is the hardest one. This is the most challenging because it can be easy that I can believe in you, that I can you know, bear with you, that I can hope with you, but I can do that one time, maybe two times, maybe 10 max, but forever? Forever? Because that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that there's no, there's no limitations on how often you should exhibit these. This is forever. But it's, it's challenging because we as people make it so difficult for people not to give up on us. We make it so difficult for people not to quit on us because we're just, we just blatantly not listen to what they have to say. But what Paul's saying is that too bad, you have to love them forever this way. But we as Christians, again, are just called to love towards others in an enduring way because that's how God loves us. Because no matter how many times we screw up, no matter how many times we may disobey him, no matter how many times we may defy him and do things our way, he loves us. He doesn't quit on us. God does not and will not ever get to a point where he stops loving us, so why should we to others? I read in a commentary preparing for this week that it said that love communicates grace. I think that's just a beautiful example 
of the gospel because love does communicate grace. Because, because of Christ's death on the cross, because of him loving us that way in the most profound way of dying for us on the cross that we may spend eternity with him, that every single day when we mess up, when we screw up, we hear, I love you. We hear that I don't see the bruises. I don't see the marks. I don't see the scars. I don't see the worst person in the world. I see my son. I see my child. I see Jesus. We hear that every single day. Love communicates that grace to us. So why don't we communicate that to others? Why should our love have term limits when his love for us doesn't? Because as Paul gets to verse 8, he says love never ends. Right? Love never fails. Love never quits. He says in verse 8 here, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So Paul gets back to this idea of gifts and saying that, you know, these gifts that the church is so concerned about, these gifts that they've been elevating against others, that there'll come a day when they cease, when they end, when they won't be around anymore. Like we talked about a few weeks ago, we at River City Church kind of believe that to be an open-headed issue as to if these gifts are still around or if they've already ended or, you know, if they've ceased or when they cease. Because I think there's some healthy debate around that. And that's what Paul is saying there. He's saying there will come a day when these gifts will end. There will come a day when they won't be around anymore. But what's most important, instead of focusing on these gifts, is that they will all become clear to us, will become perfect to us when we're face-to-face with God in heaven. What we, we know that they will end and that they will be re- revealed to us their perfection when we are in heaven because he says in verse, in verse um, in 10 that we prophet, or verse 9 that we prophesy in part and we, we know in part. We don't know fully. We don't prophesy fully. But when that perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When perfection comes in heaven, that imperfection will pass away. So in heaven, we'll have perfect knowledge of these gifts, perfect understandings of these gifts, and understanding as to when they passed away and why they passed away. Paul uses a great illustration of being a child to support us because as, as children, our thoughts and understanding, they're, they're real. They're real thoughts, they're real understandings, but they're oftentimes limited, right? For example, explaining the process to a child as to why the sky is blue can be difficult for them. If you explain that process to me, it can also be difficult for me, Okay. But as you grow older, you begin to understand why the sky is blue, and those complex ideas become more understanding because they're maturing. I have more maturing to do because I don't know why the sky is blue. And that's the same thing with believers, right? We reach that maturity, that full maturity, when we are face-to-face with God in heaven. We understand those complex ideas. We understand all the questions that we have answers to. And Paul even says that now we see in a mirror dimly. We see in an imperfect reflection of what's going on. But once we're face to face with God in heaven, again, it'll be all revealed to us. So Paul is telling the Corinthians to stop flaunting or boasting in your gifts you have now because they're not eternal and they're nothing compared to that knowledge and understanding that God has in store with us in heaven. 
So stop focusing on what your gifting can do. Instead, focusing on, focus on what love can do through your gifting. Because love never ends. Love will never cease. Love will never pass away. That's here, that's now. And then Paul famously ends in verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Paul is saying that the faith, hope, and love, they hold their ground, they withstand, they abide. Right? These three continue on, that these actions are, we as believers will be around for oh, ever, really. They don't go away. Paul says that the trust in God will continue. Our trust in God will continue, that our hope in the Lord will only expand over time. They're strong, but love is the greatest among them. Because again, as Paul is saying, without love, we're nothing. Love unites us with God and it allows us to love others. And I think that's what's so gut-punching for me is that I don't always love like this. And if I had to bet, I'd probably think most of us are in that same boat. And I would say even me, like probably half the time I exhibit that, which means I'm failing. If, we're, if we really look at ourselves, if we really examine our lives, we could just really see how impatient our love is, how unkind it can be, how boastful it can be. So what would it take for us as believers to love like this? And I think our answer can be found in the first couple words of chapter 14. I don't have it. I'm going to spoil it. It says, pursue love. Pursue love. We need to pursue it. We need to pursue this idea of love. But first, to, per, to pursue love, we first need to pursue Christ. Because Paul has spelled out for us in verses 4 through 7 those incredible characteristics of what true love looks like, and it's Jesus. Because as we know, his love is patient. Because no matter how many times we kick and scream when things don't go our way, and we blame everyone else for it, he's there by our side and never complaining about it. His love does not rejoice at our wrongdoings. His love does not celebrate our mistakes or keep score. He's there with us through it all. Christ's love covers us, it bears our sins, and, and forgives us when we constantly fail to reflect who he is. His love believes in us. His love hopes for us. His love endures us. His love never fails. We, we see when we look at this just how Oftentimes we fall short to love others that way. How we, we often fall short to have love be the main motivation behind our gifting. And it just it makes us realize just how much we need him to, to allow us to get to that point. How much we need Christ to love others like him. So to pursue love, we first need to pursue Christ. So again, what would your life look like if you loved like this? What would our world look like? What would the impact we as believers would have on others if we loved like this? So a couple, couple questions I want to ask you guys just to think about through this week. Where do you need to grow? If you took a hard look at yourself right now, where do you need to grow? Where do you need to pursue Christ in your life to love like this? And then secondly, what is the main intention behind your gifting? Because, again, why is this sandwiched in here? Because chapter 12, we talk about gifting. Chapter 14, Brad, next week, we'll talk more about gifting. Love is sandwiched in there because, like Paul said, without love, 
we are nothing. Without love, our gifting means nothing. So what is the motivation behind your gifting? Why are you doing it? Are you not using your gifting? Do you think that my gifting isn't as public, my gifting isn't as noticeable? I don't really know what I'm good at, so I'm just not going to do anything. Because that's just as unloving. Let's communicate grace this week to others in our community, in our city, and those around us. Because, like I said, guys, we hear it every single day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your love for us, Lord. Your ultimate sacrifice on the cross for us that we can spend eternity with you. Lord, I thank you for loving us every single day when we screw up, when we mess up, that we get to wake up every single day because of you, Lord, knowing that we are loved and that we are forgiven, that we hear that grace every single day. And I pray, Lord, as we go out this week and in the coming weeks, Lord, that we communicate that grace with other people by loving them, by being patient with them, by being kind with them, or that you would challenge us to grow and you would challenge us to use our gifting truly for you and that there ultimately would always be love behind that gifting. In your name we pray, amen.